Good morning. Uh, this morning's reading is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 15. <clears throat> Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Good to see so many people here. As Billy mentioned earlier, uh, this is the men's retreat weekend, and I thought, okay, uh, there are going to be a lot of people away, and there are. Uh, a lot of the guys are uh, off to the, to the retreat, and hopefully they're having a really good weekend, a uh, time of study, of spiritual strengthening, uh, and fellowship and, and bonding. Uh, so sometime back this year, uh, Jay approached me and said uh, that he and Miles were going to be away this weekend at the retreat. And would I preach? I said, sure. Uh, what, what's on the schedule? He said, giving. <laughs> and, you know, you laughed, right? You kind of understand that this is one of those subjects that, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of was joking. I thought, should I even tell people what I'm preaching on this morning? Because there are always some people that are not going to show up. Uh, I don't want to hear another sermon on giving. You know, and you think about how many sermons have you actually heard on giving? You know, but one of the perceptions is that uh, people have is that churches are always talking about money. And you know, one of the things I really love about about our life as a congregation is that that we recognize that money is a tool. It's a blessing. It's a way that we've shared with one another and share with our ministry, but we don't have to keep hounding people and begging. And, you know, it's, it's not a, a major topic, even though it's very, very important to the work of the church. Uh, we were all, or most of us were taught early in our lives at some point that there are what we call the five acts of worship, right? And we talk about singing, we talk about preaching, we talk about prayer, we talk about the Lord's Supper, and the fifth one is giving. And for some reason, we approach giving like it's really not part of our worship. Uh, you know, without diminishing it at all, it's kind of tacked on to the end of the Lord's Supper. And oftentimes the presider will say, separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we now have the time to return to the Lord a portion of what he has blessed us with. You've heard that, right? Um, yet... If it is part of our worship and an important part of our relationship with God, I think every so often we need to go back to square one. We need to go back to the foundation 
And I want to go back through this this morning in a way that may teach you some things, may help you understand some things, and may help. So, I want to start with kind of a bit of an overview of giving in the Bible. Now, tithing, and you know, in in the religious world, the word tithing has become equal to the word or synonymous to the word giving. It's not. I wrote a little article for the bulletin about it. And if you haven't read the bulletin article, please do that. You don't need to do it right now, but you can do it later. Uh, And it explains that tithing was part of the Mosaic Covenant. It was a practice, and there were actually three different tithes. There was the general tithe. There was tithe associated with the fellowship meal that an individual would have with the priest. And the third one was a tithe for the poor, which was collected every three years. The word tithe means tenth. And so for us to understand what the people under that under the covenant, the people of Israel or later the Jews were under, they gave 20, not 10% a year, they gave 20% a year for two years. And then the third year they gave another third. So that's a pretty heavy, you know, that's almost 25% on the third year. Uh, but that is what supported the work of the tabernacle, or later the temple, this, the, the work of the Levites. And the Levites gave a tenth of what they got to the priests. And so it's a pretty comprehensive, you know, I, I, I kind of think of it almost as a system of taxation because it was due. And Malachi said to the people of, of, of the, you know, the, the Jews, will a man rob God? Well, how are they robbing by not paying their tithes. And, you know, if you notice, when Paul talks about giving to the Corinthians, he says not under compulsion. Well, the tithe system was a compulsion. You must do it. So, uh, what about during the ministry of Jesus? Well, the, the Jews were paying their tithes. And we, you know, often don't think about that. But what we may not have, you may not have noticed is that John mentions that Jesus and the apostles had a money bag. And guess who carried the money bag? That was Judas. Now, what we find out, and John tells us, is that Judas had the kind of the idea that charity begins at home. You know, so he was helping himself to the money bag. He was stealing from Jesus. You want, you want that as your epitaph to be remembered for history? Uh, but where did that money come from? Well, Luke tells us, uh, mentions actually the names of some of the women uh, that had been healed by Jesus, that were part of the group that was with him, and were supporting Jesus. One was the wife of Herod Stewart. You know, so she was a fairly well-placed individual. And so there, there was an income that she said. There were people that were giving to Jesus and to his ministry. Uh, in Acts, we find that day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, there's, you know, Peter preaches the first sermon, you know, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the first sermon. 3,000 people are baptized, and we now have the, the church community, which had been 120 at the chap- beginning of chapter 2. Now, 
is over 3,000. And in that community, there were some poor people. And so it says they had all things in common. So some of them sold their property, and it benefited those who were poor. By chapter 4, people were selling property and laying the proceeds of it at the apostles' feet. And this is where we get into the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who said, we sold this property, here's all the money. They lied. You know, and so there's a good lesson here about why the church needs to be very careful about money, because Judas stole and Ananias and Sapphira lied and wanted credit for giving what they were not actually giving. So through the book of Acts, we find uh, by about Acts 11, Paul and his companions are uh, are, are headed. Uh, where are in, actually, I believe in Antioch, and uh, there is a group of prophets there, and one of them is named Agabus, and Agabus foretells uh, that there will be a severe famine in Judea, and so the response to that is. The disciples, each one, as he was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders, and others to, in Jerusalem, it would be to uh, the apostles, by Barnabas and Saul. So we find that early in the, the life of the church, Acts 2, uh, up through chapter 11, that there was money. We, we find in, in chapter 7, there was a da- daily distribution of food, of bread, uh, to the widows in Jerusalem. You know, that, that this was all taking and requiring resources, and, and people were giving to support this. But I, what's really significant about the gift that we just read about from chapter 11 is that this was a gift from Gentile disciples to their Jewish brethren. You know, in other words, it came out of the, the, the Jewish background and had become Christians. And, you know, there was an early part of thinking for the, for the uh, Christians who came out of Jewish backgrounds that the church was theirs. And they didn't really like the Gentile interlopers who were coming in. And yet, as God, through the Holy Spirit, revealed, like through Peter, that the gospel was for everybody, Jew, Gentile alike. And that was a really rough go. So this was a significant step to have the Gentile, those of Gentile background, maybe a better way to keep it straight, uh, sending financial help to their Jewish brethren who were being affected by the famine and the situation in Palestine. Uh, Late in Acts, we find in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 4, and then 24, verse 17. In chapter 20, verse 4, there's a list of, of companions of Paul. And there's a list of names. We're not going to bother with going through them. But they, they suddenly pop up. And those are probably the people that are traveling with Paul to help carry the money back to Jerusalem. And so then in chapter 24, 17, Paul says that he had come to Jerusalem with this money for relief of the poor. Uh, so, the gift Paul talks about here in Romans 15. And, whoops. 
He said, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there for Macedonia and Achaia. So Macedonia and Achaia are the, 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 the areas that are what we would now call Greece, basically. Uh, and so that's the heart of what was the Gentile world, the Greek world. Uh, and they were making a contribution to the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. And indeed, uh, they owe it to them, which is really interesting. More than an ex- expression of love and fellowship, there was an indebtedness because the gospel came through the Jews or the Jewish Christians to the Gentile world. And so they recognized that there was something there. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material things. So through all of this, and you may realize that we're kind of getting a, a, a trail through uh, some of the New Testament letters. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians verses that are often read before the collection. Paul says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. That's what this is about. For the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. For raising money through the empire, through churches throughout the empire, especially the Gentile world, to go back to help brothers and sisters in Judea and Jerusalem. And so, uh, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Uh, On the first day of every week, each one of you should... Set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come to come, no collections uh, will have to be made. It's, it's a preparation for Paul's arrival. You know, he doesn't want there to just be this mad scurry to, to put the money together, but rather for it to be collected weekly so that when it gets there, it's ready to go. Now, did you know that? Did you know that was the background of these, this verse that we hear so regularly? That Paul instructed the church at Corinth to do this. And we'll talk in a minute about, well, how does that apply to us? So, Paul writes a second letter to the church at Corinth. And in what was two verses in 1 Corinthians becomes two chapters uh, in Second Corinthians, and we're not going to go through all of it, but uh, so first he talks about the churches in Macedonia. So that is what we would look at as northern Greece. Uh, and he says, uh, and, and really in, in talking about this, you see the widespread response. Macedonia, Achaia, which is what the, the, the whole of what we would call Greece today, and uh, Galatia, which is over on the Turkey side. So this has become a very widespread, and I would call it, it's a project that Paul has undertaken to collect the money for the poor Christians back in Judea and Jerusalem. And so Paul says that out of their trial, their joy, their poverty, came generosity. You know, and you look at that list, joy maybe, but you don't normally think about people giving out of trial and poverty, right? 
But he says they gave beyond their ability and pleaded. You know, I, I, you kind of imagine there's a bit of a dialogue that must have gone on here between Paul and, um, and these brethren. Because Paul said, well, you don't really have a lot of money. I don't really think in good conscience I can ask you to give that. And they're begging him to be able to give to their Christian brethren, their, their brothers and sisters in Christ back in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's an expression of their love and their fellowship with these people. They have been separated by hundreds and hundreds of miles. They have been separated by culture. They have been separated by language. They have been separated by religious backgrounds. Now they're one in Christ. And so Paul responds to that and notes that first, the reason they did this is because first they gave themselves to the Lord. And they recognized that the Christians in, in Jerusalem and Judea had also done that. And so he tells them that he is sending Titus and an unnamed brother to come collect the money and to pick it up and take it there. So in chapter 9, and there would be one verse back in verse 8, we'll note, Paul gives them some principles about their giving. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, unfortunately, one of the things that happened is that religious people who are uh, basically kind of mercenary, they're, you know, they're kind of they're money focused. And they think, okay, well, this is a formula that I give and God's going to give to me. And so the more I give to God, the more he has to give to me. You know, like it's, somehow God's going to have a debt to me. That's not what Paul is saying. And we'll kind of understand that, I think, by the end. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, it's, this is not a forced thing. Paul isn't saying you've got to do this. Uh, you know, one of the things I love in this verse, and often we, we hear that God loves a cheerful giver. The Greek word that's translated uh, cheerful is hilaros. We would spell it in English, English don't speak it much, uh, H-I-L-A-R-O-S, hilaros. Does that sound like a word you know? Hilarious. Something that's really, we would say something that's really funny, but what Paul is saying is something that's very, very joyful. That giving, Paul is saying, you know, you think about it, their love, their faith, their, their zeal for the Lord is overflowing in this gift they're wanting to send. And so Paul is encouraging that attitude and that heart. And he says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the, your harvest of righteousness. You notice he says your harvest of righteousness. Uh, I, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing many expressions of thanks to God. If our giving is an expression of our worship, it is also something, Paul says, that causes worship on the part of those who are recipients of that love. And then the one 
from the pre- chapter 8 that I, I really think it needs to be pointed out. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I'm always a little reluctant to talk about giving because the people who often seem to be the most troubled by it when we talk about it are people who don't have much, maybe who don't have anything. And they want to give. Well, that's what Paul is saying. If you don't have anything to give, God's looking at your heart. You know, remember Jesus talked about the uh, pointing to the, the the widow who is putting the two tiny little coins in, and I, I, you know, some of you may remember. I actually have a couple of those mites that actually date back to that time. They're almost they're so small they're almost invisible in my hand. You know, it's just like, uh, they're tiny. But Jesus said she's given everything she has, and it's the heart of the gift that matters. Not the amount. Now, you think about that. There is another side of that. If somebody has a lot and only gives two two mites, then there's something wrong. So what we need to understand, you know, we talked about the tithing. And we talked about Jesus and how the early church was raising money. Uh, Jesus and Paul both spoke about the need to support workers. You know, and Jesus expressed it that the worker is worthy of his pay. You know, somebody who is out working for the Lord uh, needs to have an income. And this is what can be done, you know, to provide support for them. Um, Paul, in a wonderful chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, talks about his rights as an apostle and as, as an evangelist, as one who's serving the Lord. And he talks about the fact that he has a right to an income from what he's doing. Now, in the case of the Corinthians, he did not want, and there were some places that he would not accept help from. Because he knew they couldn't afford it. But he said, it's my right to have the income, but it's also my right to support myself. And that's what he did with his tent making in many places where he went. Uh, he told Timothy that to let the laborers who, who, who serve well, especially those who work in preaching and teaching, be considered worthy of double honor. Now, he uses the word honor there in an interesting way because we, we use the word honor uh, if we invite a speaker into a function, especially you know, like in a university or a secular setting, you provide that speaker with called an honorarium. And what that is, it's a financial uh, recognition for what they've done and for, the, for their coming. And, you know, so, so Jesus and Paul both acknowledge the fact that there is a need uh, to support. So what we're talking about is that Paul and Jesus give us an example and teaching about how the church receives income. Paul says to the second, in 2 Corinthians that we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. Uh, over the years, I've had religious people, you know, encounter me on the street or at my door and, you know, say, and I, I remember this one conversation I had one time that said, uh, 
I've got this little brochure here that will tell you what you need to do to be saved. Oh, great. It's $5. Huh? You're offering me to, to, to give me the way to be saved with God, but you're going to sell it to me? Doesn't that strike you as really strange? But see, all my life, you know, we've lived in different, I've lived in many different places. And some, it's just appalled me how religious groups make money. They sell stuff. They have bingos. They have lotteries. They have, you know, you want to know what God thinks about gambling. Think about the fact that we are told that the soldiers who crucified Jesus were gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross. I remember one time many years ago, there was a church here in Winnipeg that put out flyers in the neighborhood soliciting money, donations from their neighbors, people who were not members of their church. But they said, we know as your neighbor, you want to help us. Huh? I don't see how people who are not Christians would be at all drawn to the financial demands of many religious systems. Because they just don't line up with the Bible. Jesus said, freely have you received, freely give. That's, that's my, that was my reply to the people that wanted to sell me the tract that would tell me how to be saved. We got the gospel for free. We give it away for free. We don't charge people to come in here. We don't ask people in the world who are not Christians to support us. And often, and I think we need to, to, to remind visitors in our assemblies on Sunday morning when we come to the Lord's Supper, when we come to the collection, that this is something we do as part of the body of Christ. There, We're not asking them to participate. This is for Christians to do. The church is supported by the free will giving of its members. We have the choice. Now, we're following the example and the teaching that Paul gave to the Corinthians. Because the principle applies to how the church gets its money. Well, it's through that free will offering and that collection. So the key is bearing fruit. Last week, Jay preached about bearing fruit, right? And I'm sitting there thinking and making notes, you know, on, on my phone. No, because I think, okay, while Jay's doing this, I won't go back there much other than to remind us uh, that I am the vine. Jesus said, you're the branches. The reason you bear fruit is because you're a part of me. Uh, Hebrews 6, 7, and there's a, there's a verse 8 on the negative side of this, but I want to, you know, land that drinks in the rain after falling on it, uh, that produces a crop useful for those for whom it is uh, it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. You know, in other words, that there's a benefit, there's a blessing that comes to us because as God's people, we have been blessed by God. Christians are blessed by God, therefore we bless others. And our contribution is one way we do that. 
But there's other ways. You know, money, things, time. You know, maybe you don't have much in the way of money, but you may be able to, to, to give time. Uh, you may be able to provide help and service, uh, love, fellowship, forgiveness. You know, now just think about all the things, all the ways that Christians can bless and help and serve other people. That's part of our giving. It is an act of faith and love. That's part of it. And so that's why I called this lesson, There's More to Giving Than Giving. Uh, so I want to ask a question. How does my giving show my faith in discipleship? Given all the different ways that I can give and participate in that. How does it show my heart, my love, my thankfulness to God? My vision. When you, when we give money to the congregation, is there a vision that we have for that money to recognize? You know, when, when I created the site, that, and I thought about putting it back up, up here, uh, that through our contributions, we are able to help finance and fund the work of the church here, the preaching of the gospel all over the world, the help of our brothers and sisters in, in many places. There's just so, you know, to, to see, not just, oh, got to give. Rather than to see this as a way that we can, I, I, I thought about, uh, with this, uh, thinking about, uh, there, there's another song I, th- I thought we could, have, we could have sung, and we're not going to do it, but is your life a channel of blessing? Is the love of God showing through you? And talking about barrier, we will barriers being a hindrance. You know, in others, if, we, we, if we've got a bad attitude about this, and we're not blessing others. But I, I wanted this song right from the very beginning, and I asked uh, Taiwo and Bamadel if either one of them knew this song. And they went, no. <laughs> said, okay, I'll lead it. Okay, there's a song in our songbook, there's a song I've known most of my life, called There is a Sea. Uh, how many know this song? Okay, we're going to have fun. Okay. <laughs> We're going to learn a song in our worship assembly, which is not something we normally do. But, okay, the songwriter here has done something really, really cool. Okay, see the map? or It's not a map. It's actually a satellite picture of Palestine. And at the top, you know, you, you see that there's, there's actually there's three seas in there, the Mediterranean Sea. But then at the top, there is the Sea of Galilee, which is the smaller sea, inland sea there. And if you look, you'll see all these different rivers and streams flow into it. And then there's one big river flows out of it, and that's the Jordan River. So the first verse of the song talks about the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and then the Jordan River didn't show up there. There it is. Uh, flowing down to the other one, and then the Dead Sea at the bottom. And the Dead Sea, you notice there's nothing comes out of the Dead Sea? That's one of the things that's really interesting about it. The Dead Sea, the water from the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River flow into the Dead Sea and die. It's a salt sea. 
There's nothing lives in there. In fact, it's desert around it. And so the song reader basically points out, uh, the songwriter basically points out that in the second verse that this sea, the Dead Sea, doesn't do any good to anybody. And somebody's probably thinking, well, actually, there are people with certain skin issues going soaking. Yeah, okay. But that's not a major thing, is it? Because the Dead Sea doesn't do anything for anything in the region or anything south of it like the Sea of Galilee does. But then the songwriter doesn't leave it at that. They add a third verse. Which will it be? You know, what kind of person are you going to be? Am I going to be? Are we going to be like the Sea of Galilee where we receive the blessings of God and we pour out those blessings to other people through our lives, through our giving? Or are we going to be like the Dead Sea and not any use for anybody, even ourselves? So as we sing this song, and we're going to ask you to stand as we sing it. So as we sing this song, uh, hopefully you can make your application and think about, okay, we've been talking about giving. Well, how am I giving? How am I blessing? How am I reflecting the love that God has given to me? Okay, let's stand as we sing.